I don't know what conclusions you came to. I know nothing about cooking whatsoever, as anybody knows uh, me will know. Here is a terrible, terrible thing I have to tell you, right? This is terrible. Uh, Connie and I, in a week's time, have been, next Sunday actually, we've been married for 35 years. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. that's very good. But that's not the point. The point is, in that whole 35 years, I have only cooked Cornelia a meal on one occasion. I like, I know, that is terrible. I know it's terrible. But it's for two reasons. Oh, Matthew thinks it's good. He's clapping. Yeah, he's giving me the thumbs up. It's for two reasons. One is Cornelia happens to be the most fantastic cook. I don't know how many of you have enjoyed her cooking, but she is the most fantastic cook. And she's got better and better and better and better. And I've got worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And the occasion on which I did cook a meal was on one of our other wedding anniversaries. And uh, it didn't, it wasn't received well. I think that's fair to say. <laughs> so, so it kind of put me off. So as she's got better, I've got worse. And that's just the way it is. In fact, we were talking just the other day about what would happen if I ever had to cook on my own. I'd have to come and see you all. I don't know what I'd do. I'd, uh, I couldn't survive. It would be kebabs every day or something like that. Um, so I do not watch The Great British Bake Off, not intentionally, though Connie is addicted to it. So, um, we, uh, so you know, I've watched it I, these last two weeks. I know it started and all the rest of it. So I sat down this morning uh, because this morning, uh, of course, we are looking at the subject, subject of feasting and fasting. Over the month of July and August, we're looking at spiritual practices spiritual disciplines, things that will enable us to grow in a sense of our own spirituality and centeredness. We've said to one another that in terms of spirituality, our spirituality grows and develops just like any other skill or art grows and develops. If we want to be good at something, we need to practice it. So many of us mourn the absence of the sense of God's presence in our lives. And it's so often because actually we don't concentrate on it. And you know, it's one of those things, isn't it? Even when you come, we come together into a church service, it's so easy still to be dominated by our mobile phone and uh, what's on the screen. We are so addicted to that and then we will say... But we didn't get much from the worship today. Well, we weren't much there. That's just the truth. You have to be present and committed to whatever you're doing for that thing to really take effect in your life. So we've been looking at those spiritual practices that we need to develop. If you want to be good at sailing, put a lot into it. If you want to be a great footballer, put a lot into it. If you want to be a great poet, write poetry. If you want to be a great mathematician, do maths. If you want to be able to comment politically, read the newspaper and engage in a community. If you want to develop those habits that make God's presence in your life actual, work at it hard. This week we're looking at feasting and fasting, or fasting and feasting. So I sat down, and as I say, I know nothing whatsoever about cooking, really, but even I, I sat there this morning early, and I said, Steve, 
name some cooking programs. And this is what I came up with. I, 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 I don't know if they're still on. The Great British Bake Off, which is what we talked about. Come Dine With Me. Do you watch that? Yeah? That's that. Cornelia was asked to be on Come Dine With Me and she turned down the opportunity. There you go. Come Dine With Me. Nigella Express. Is that still on? Yeah? Yeah, well, she's on. Oh, yeah, she's always on, isn't she? The Naked Chef, The Food Show, Saturday Kitchen, Master Chef and Celebrity Master Chef. And I went through the name of famous chefs that I know. And I came up with Mary Berry, Rick Stein, James Martin, Paul Hollywood, Delia, who I think's given up now, hasn't she? And she's just doing football. Is that true? Yeah, I think she's just on football. Ain- Ainsley Harriet. And uh, Anthony Worrell Thompson, is that right? Yeah, did I get that right? Um, the Hairy Bikers, are they still around? Are they both still alive? Yeah, they're both still alive. I can't remember. Yeah, the Hairy Bikers. Uh, Greg Wallace, yeah. Um, Raymond Blanc and Gordon Ramsay. There you go. Not bad for someone who knows nothing about cooking at all. So it struck me as I thought about this that when we're talking about feasting and fasting, we really don't need to say that much about feasting. As a society, we're pretty good at it anyway. In fact, you could believe that we're addicted to feasting. We love feasting. We love eating. We love consuming. We spend half our time eating too much and the other half trying to diet it off, don't we? It's an amazing thing. We are only beaten by the Americans. I was in America a few months ago and I was watching a set of television ads and the TV ads are all about Burger King, I'm not picking on Burger King, and Mac KFC and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and bulk chicken nuggets that you can shove down your throat, followed by an advert all about how you can lose that weight if you go on a diet. And so our Western society, it knows how to feast. I thought that it would be good to take just a short look at fasting, which we know pretty well little, nothing at all about. In fact, I did a little Google search of fasting. And once you type in the word fasting, what comes up is lots of diets. We know about fasting because we know about dieting, and we know about dieting because we're so addicted to feasting. We know about uh, uh, fasting Because, as the Google results revealed, if there was ever any doubt about it, we're concerned about our health. We want to live longer. We want to live healthier. And so, dieting uh, and fasting for health become really important. There's a little bit about fasting in terms of self-discipline, not so much as dieting. Dieting and health and looking good and keeping your shape seem to be from my little Google kind of uh, uh, recce, um, what we're really all thinking about. But self-discipline was talked about a bit. And then there were the political um, uh, references. Do you know that Gandhi, for instance, uh, went on a hunger strike? And he went on a hunger strike to make a political point. And of course, through history, uh, many people have fasted to make a political point. But as I looked at the web, it seemed that what was lacking there was any real linking with fasting between fasting and Christian faith. It was entirely absent. 
And that probably tells us a lot about where we've got to. We feast, but we don't fast. Here are some Bible verses. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, and here comes the most redundant verse in the Bible, he was hungry. This is a normal fast. Why does it say, sorry, why does it say he was hungry? It says he was hungry because he wasn't thirsty. The Bible talks about three kinds of fast, and I'd like to briefly introduce you to all three of them. This I've called the normal fast. Jesus, for 40 days, for a period of 40 days, did not eat. It doesn't tell us that he didn't drink. So at the end, it says he was hungry. It doesn't say he was thirsty. And so what seems an obsolete little phrase on the end of a verse to us isn't obsolete at all. It's telling us something. This was a fast from food for 40 days. Jesus went into the desert and he spent his time there. Which tells us something about what fasting is about. If you read that story, which as you can see is in Matthew's Gospel chapter 4, it tells you that Jesus went to the desert immediately after he'd heard this sense from God that he was God's son and God had chosen him to do great things. He'd been baptized and he'd heard God say, you are my son whom I love. And Jesus journeys from that wonderful celebration into a desert and he stays there for 40 days. And he takes that time to reflect on what it means to be God's much-loved son. Because we like feasting, we like to hear that we're loved by God, which we are. We are loved by God. God is the God of love. The question is, for you, what does that mean? What does it actually mean that you are God's beloved child? Jesus journeys into a desert and he sits there for 40 days, being tempted by the devil, by Satan, to think of all sorts of perversions of what it means to be loved by God. And he slowly works out what he will do. And eventually, after 40 days, he leaves the desert and he begins his ministry. Some of you would have heard me say before, never, never, never turn your back on a desert. Again, we tend to do that in our lives. We want to block out the silence. We want to block out the dull moment. We want to block out the experience where nothing's happening because we are addicted to feasting, to sound. Turn on some music, turn on the telly, get something happening, invite someone round, jazz it up a bit. We want to escape that lonely moment. We want to escape the moment of solitude. We want to escape the moment of reflection, for we feel we can learn nothing from it. Jesus went to the desert, and he stayed there for 40 days, and he fasted. Don't, I've said this before, I say it to myself, this isn't me preaching to you, don't despise the desert in your life. Don't despise the barren moment. Don't rush away to another noisy one. Learn from that lonely moment. Learn from that crushing moment. What can you learn in it and learn out of it? But that was the normal, uh, that was the normal fast. Jesus for 40 days did not eat, but he drank. 
This is the absolute fast. The normal fast, the absolute fast. This verse is from Acts chapter 9, verse 9, and it's about Paul or Saul. After Saul, who persecuted Christians for a living, as you know, uh, found in Christ, encountered Jesus, and had his life changed, the very next verse in that story simply says this, for three days he did not eat or drink anything. Saul encountered Jesus, the last person he ever expected to encounter. He'd lived his whole life against everything that he'd heard Jesus stood for, and he encounters him on this road. And you can look it up in your Bibles. Acts chapter 9, verse 9. For three days he did not eat or drink anything. The absolute fast. In actual fact, though I've never fasted for 40 days, I am told that, you know, Jesus didn't do this because he was magical. Do you know, we say, and Jesus fasted for 40 days. Well, actually, he was the son of God. He could have fasted for 40 months or 40 years or 400 years. No, actually, he limited himself as a human being. A human being, as proven by Gandhi and many others, can fast for that long from food, but not from drink. You die. But it is possible to fast from food and water for three days. That's what Paul did. Having encountered Jesus, he wanted to find a desert experience. He wanted to live in that experience, that opportunity to reflect, to think through, to reorientate his life, not rush on. We are addicted to feasting. We're addicted to noise. We're addicted to our devices. Our devices control us. We don't control them. I read just the other week that the average person in their 20s looks at their little device screen 150 times a day. It interrupts everything. We spend our lives craving that next text or that next email, and we never present. Perhaps your mobile phone represents the feasting, feasting on something that really is vacuous. Perhaps the desert is to turn off a mobile phone for a week. Perhaps the desert is to shut down on Facebook for a week. Perhaps the desert is to dwell in a place where God speaks to you. So that's the absolute fast. There's another kind of fast. So let's go back. A normal fast, not eating but drinking. An absolute fast, not eating or drinking. Here's another one. This is taken from the book of Daniel, chapter 10, verse 3. Daniel says, I ate no choice food, no meat or wine touched my lips, and I used no lotions at all until the three weeks were over. A partial fast. What Daniel is doing is saying, I chose to refrain from drinking, uh, 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 I chose to refrain from these types of choice food. No meat, no alcohol touched my lips, no lotions for three weeks. Just imagine that. No face packs for three weeks. Just imagine that. No foundation for three weeks. Just imagine that. So the point is this. 
that fasting isn't necessarily to do with no food, though I don't want to give you the impression that we can spiritualize anything and go, oh, Jesus didn't eat any food and he went to a desert. Well, I don't need to go to a real desert, of course, and I don't really need to give up any food, actually. It's all just, you know, a kind of spiritual concept. It's about real self-denial. It's about real discipline. And what Daniel does is he, 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 um, I don't know if you know the context of his story, he finds himself in Babylon, he's not living where he wants to live, He's he's, uh, he's a child of Israel, he wants to be back in Israel, he finds himself in the wrong place, he finds himself living a second choice life, and he wants God's presence in his life and a sense of God's presence in his life, and he disciplines himself in this way. So fast isn't isn't necessarily about food. It's about being in control instead of being controlled. It's about making choices instead of uh, choices constantly being made for you. It's about centering ourselves. It's about withdrawing from things and finding time to listen to God's voice. So here's the thing we've talked about. The normal fast, we talked about an absolute fast, we talked about partial fast. And there are many examples of all of these in the Bible. I just chose three verses to sum up the three different types of fast. But this is what we read together. This is from the Sermon on the Mount. This is the passage that we read together. So when you give to the needy, said Jesus, and then we heard all about giving to the needy. So when you pray, said Jesus, pray like this, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. And then Jesus says, when you fast. He doesn't say if you fast. He says when you fast. Jesus says when you give to the needy. He doesn't say, hey, look, you know, there'll be the average type of Christian, and then there'll be the fanatic who goes around giving stuff away. Do you know? He says, when you who follow me give. When you who follow me pray, when you who follow me fast. So fasting isn't something for the super spiritually kind of fundamentalist crank. You know, there's one or two people in a church who might do this, but they'll soon get over it and learn to be normal. Jesus says, when you give, when you pray, when you fast. It's not if it's when. It's not if, it's when. Here's here's a, a verse, famous verse from Isaiah. Is this not the kind of fasting I've chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free, to break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide uh, the poor wanderer with shelter? Fasting is some Old Testament um, sayings or saying from the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament. Fasting here for Isaiah is exactly the same as what Jesus was talking about. When you fast, don't parade it in front of people. Do this secretly. Don't go around telling everybody what a wonderful person you are because you give or because you pray. Of course you give and of course you pray and of course you fast because you're my follower. 
No, do these things because you're committed to finding me in your life. Is this not the kind of fasting I've chosen? To loose the chains of injustice. To untie the cords of the yoke. To set the oppressed free. To break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and provide the poor wanderer with shelter? Here are other ways of self-denial. You know, those who are committed to justice for others, sometimes we're tempted to think, oh, that's just that kind of person. You know, they kind of do that. For me, Christianity is more about, you know, Sundays and things. But, you know, we've got people in our church who just go and do stuff all week. This is a fasting. People are not every gift in life. We say, oh, they're gifted at this. Every gift in life is, in the end, as we began by saying, the result of immense discipline. Mark can play the keyboard. In fact, it strikes me Mark can play just about every musical instrument there is going. And, but it's the result of immense discipline. Flick too, and Jerry's always playing a different... Do you know, this is the result of a lifetime of discipline that creates freedom that looks so natural. The Bible tells us that we need to fast from our own desires and invest for others. Fasting is at the center of everything. One last Bible verse and a thought to explore with you. I was really grateful to Tim for announcing that our monthly prayer meeting is on Thursday evening. This is the verse. This is taken from the book of Ezra. There are many other examples of this, but I chose this one. I proclaimed a a fast so that we might humble ourselves before our God and ask him for a safe journey for us and our children. So we fasted and uh, petitioned our God about this, and he answered our prayer. So it turns out that fasting, like prayer, and like giving, is not just about a spiritual discipline for our own growth, but giving changes things for other people. When you fast, fast like this. Fight injustice. Share your food with the hungry. Somebody else's life is changed through our activity. And when you pray, pray, uh, pray like this. And when you fast, fast like this. Fasting is a spiritual discipline for ourselves, but it has impact on the world uh, in which we live. Um, in uh, 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 2 Samuel, the book of 2 Samuel, there's a story that's told, to, told about David. It's a big story, actually. He has an affair. He has an affair with a woman called Bathsheba. Some of you will know about this. He's the king, and he can have whatever he likes. And he shows a lack of self-discipline. He can't live in the desert. He can't live with solitude. He wants, and what he wants, he gets. And he sees this woman called Bathsheba, and he has an affair with her. And then she gets pregnant, and as as many of you know, to make matters worse, to make matters a lot worse, to cover up her pregnancy, he uh, eventually murders her husband. Sorry about that. He eventually murders her husband her husband. And um, then the prophet, Nathan, comes to him and says, David, you've done wrong. And David sees his sin. The great thing about David, who's a man after God's heart, isn't that he lives a perfect life. It's that he's ready to acknowledge 
his mistake instead of constantly move on and deny it. We live in a society again, don't we, where it's very hard to get anybody ever to apologise for anything. David sees his fault. And what he does in 2 Samuel chapter 12, it tells the story about how he decides to fast. Uh, the, ba- the baby from his adulterous affair has been born and the baby's very ill and the baby's dying and David fasts and people tell him not to fast but he fasts and he prays and he fasts and he prays and then the story is told about how the baby dies and he stops fasting and he returns to eating and people say to him so why have you returned to eating and he said whilst the child was alive I fasted for the child's life. So we have two stories here from the Old Testament, just two of many. One where Ezra says, I proclaimed a fast though, so that we might humble ourselves before our God and ask him for a safe journey for us and our children. So we fasted and petitioned our God about this and he answered our prayer. And the story of David where he fasted and petitioned God and God doesn't answer the prayer. Prayer is a mystery, isn't it? In the passage that we read together... Um, we have the Lord's Prayer. Let me read uh, it to you again. I know that you've heard this many, many, many times, hundreds of times probably. If I can find the right piece of paper, I will read it to you. Um, and, And of course I can't ever. Oh yes, here it is. Your kingdom come, our Father in heaven, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those uh, who sin against us. See how it starts. When you pray, say, Our Father who is in heaven, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. If you look back through the New Testament, you'll find a fascinating story. It's the story about Mary, Jesus' mother. And an angel appears to her and says says, you are, you are, oh, look at that. I don't know what's happened there. <laughs> so, it's an amazing thing, this. There you go. <laughs> okay. Uh, the angel appears to Mary, and the angel says to Mary, you are with child, you're pregnant. A child is going to be born to you, and you'll call his name Jesus. And Mary says this. It's in Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 34. She says, how can this be? But then, as the angel explains to her what's going to happen, she says this, your will be done. Let it be done to me according to your word. How many times did Mary tell Jesus that story? And now Jesus stands up as a man and he says, and when you pray, say, our Father in heaven, your will be done. And then there's another story about Jesus. It's the night before, it's the night he was betrayed, the night before he dies on the cross. And Jesus is in a garden called Gethsemane and he goes out to pray and he prays this prayer. Take this cup, this suffering from me, but not my will, but your will be done. He's learned a lesson from his mother. He's taught a lesson to his disciples and he lives out the lesson in his own life. Your will be done. This is what I want, but your will be done. He knows that prayer is important because prayer is about discovering God's, uh, God's will 
uh, constantly, all of the time. It's a pagan idea to dwell on the possibility or the impossibility of God suspending the laws of the universe to help us. You know, you even get Christians now who kind of teach their kids, well, don't teach their kids to pray. You even get Christians who kind of like pagan people say, well, there's no point in praying because, you know, God can't intervene. Do you really think that God's going to intervene with the laws of the universe in an- to answer your prayer? Look, he set the universe in place. It works according to the laws of nature. Everything works according to the laws of nature. God's not going to change anything because of your prayer. What's the point of praying? It's a pagan idea. And it rises out of a notion of a closed universe. A closed universe where everything runs according to the laws of nature all of the time. But the Bible teaches something else. It teaches us this, that God is the creator, and it doesn't teach that God has created and creation has stopped. It teaches that God is creating constantly, and that we are made in his image, and part of that great thought is that we are creative ourselves. We are creating. We are constantly creating. Creation goes on and on. It's a creative universe. An amazing thing happened um, uh, just uh, uh, just um, a month ago. A month ago, um, one of the uh, the Hubble spaceship uh, discovered a new galaxy, which is 30 billion light years away from us. It's the it's the furthest galaxy we've ever discovered. 30 billion light years away from us. It's a galaxy. It's called Z8 GND5296. Great name. And uh, the great thing about this galaxy, galaxy ZHGND5296, you know there are billions of galaxies, so that's why they just number them like that now. This is the furthest away from us, but the extraordinary thing about this galaxy, 30 billion light years from us, is that this, this surprising feature is that it's turning gas into planets faster than anybody has ever seen before. It's doing it hundreds of times faster than the Milky Way does it. Planets are being born all of the time at an incredible rate uh, in this galaxy, 30 billion light years from us. Isn't that amazing? And we discovered it last month. Do you know what we discovered last Saturday? Uh, was last Saturday? Yeah, well, no, it was August the 8th. When was that? That wasn't last Saturday. It's two weeks ago now, isn't it? Eh? A week ago yesterday, yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know if you know what the cosmic web imager is. Cosmic web Im- imager is something that was stu- uh, stuck up by some American scientists working out of San Diego, California. And they put up an, another uh, satellite. And the cosmic web imager looks at the universe as we can see it. And it's looking at the flow of gases between the different galaxies. Uh, Because there are two different theories about how galaxies are created. One's called the hot theory and one's called the cold gas flow theory. And um, just on uh, uh, August the 8th, this month, uh, they they looked at um, a new uh, forming galaxy, which is 10 billion light years from us. So it's 
it's, it's not that far away, if you see, compared with the one they found the other week. It's only 10 billion light years uh, away, and it's forming around two um, giant uh, quasars. And uh, the, the team of astronomers, they believe that this gives credibility to the cold gas flow theory, that gas is circulating between the galaxies and it flows into spaces of dark matter and it begins to form. And uh, we are watching, at the moment, since last Saturday, the formation of a brand new galaxy. They're watching it happen, this galaxy being created. Who says creation is finished? Creation is happening all of the time in extraordinary ways. And what the Bible teaches is this. It's not the pagan idea is to dwell on the possibility, or as I say, the impossibility of God suspending the laws of the universe and working some kind of tricks and miracles. The Christian idea is to believe that God is constantly present and constantly and continually creating, and he calls us to be open to him. A response to prayer is no more impossible in creation or incarnation or resurrection. We're here because we believe in resurrection. We're here because we believe in incarnation, that God became a man. A response to prayer is no more impossible than resurrection or incarnation. God is involved. So when we gather to pray, it's not just a hope against hope. Sometimes God's hit. Sometimes God intervenes. Ezra prays and everything's changed. David prays and nothing changes. But both are open to this creative possibility. Jesus said, and when you pray, pray that God's kingdom will come and God's will will be done. That's what we're about. Fasting and prayer open up new possibilities and new horizons.